Do you truly have a trading plan? Most traders think that they have a trading plan, but it's probably missing some important elements that are attributing to their lack of growth and success as a trader. In today's live stream, I'll be chatting with Aaron Renfrew and Flary V about developing a trading plan. Today's podcast is sponsored by TradeStation and FTSE Russell. Currently, TradeStation is running a promo just for our audience. New users are going to get 50% off brokerage fees for the lifetime of their account using the promo code F-U-T-R-A-F-Z-T. As long as you open an account by July 30th. Go to tradestation.com slash Anthony to learn more. Are you watching the stock market, specifically the Russell 2000? The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol, RTY, and micro E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol, M2K. To learn more about FTSE Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. We've got Flurry V and Aaron. What's up, guys? Hey, what's, what's going, going on, on, Anthony? Great. Hey, Great to meet you guys in person. You know, we've been chatting on Twitter a, a lot um, over the, it seems like a long time now. And uh, I'm really excited to have the two of you here today because we're going to talk about developing a true trading plan. And like I mentioned in my opening comments, I think that so many traders think that they have a trading plan, but they probably are missing some key elements that are probably holding back their progress and really not letting them get to that, what we would say, that next level. Sure. Uh, so today, I really just want to start off with what I think is uh, the key elements, I should say, that I have in my trading plan. I kind of just want to go through that with you guys and have you guys tell me what you think about that and, and what are in uh, what you believe are the key elements uh, in your trading plan. You know, and I looked at my trading plan before I came on today and I said, what are the things that I have in it? And in my mind, uh, I, I thought there was going to be all these different other things. And when I really looked at it, I said, really, the only things I really have narrowed down are market, time frame, style, obviously my technical and, and macro strategy. And then what am I doing off the charts? To me, that encompasses my entire trading plan. Um, I, I think maybe we'll go with you, Flurry, first. Um, those things that I mentioned, and am I missing anything? What do you think about that? Um, you know, I think, and, and you probably have this in there, but it, maybe you just didn't call it out, but nuance is a big thing for me. And, yeah. you know, that just, you look at kind of the same things and they repeat and you start to learn these nuances and some of the best, most consistent trade setups. Uh, I don't even know if they're really setups. It's again, it's just kind of that nuance uh, that comes from watching the same markets or one market, you know, kind of over and over. So nuance would be a big one for me, which kind of ties into setups. Um, and then also like that top-down approach, but I'm assuming when you say time frame, you're kind of taking it down, you know, from a top-down type thing. Yeah, no, I love that you said nuance. I mean, that's it's something I didn't even really think about. It's something I actually took for granted, but I'm so glad you mentioned it. I mean, one of my mentors, uh, Ira Harris, who's been on the show a bunch of times, we actually did a show just talking about context and right. nuance. Aaron, you heard what Flurry said, what I said. What do you think? Uh, the word you just said is the key for me. So context is pretty much everything. Um, and I had a mentor, uh, Revere Trading definitely drove that, drove that home for me and taught me the, the real benefits around kind of creating a story around what the market's trying to tell me uh, in terms of the price action, in terms of the profile, the volume, where we're spending time. And so for me, 
building the context uh, more or less helps me understand who's in control where, like if we're staying above a certain area, who's in control there, if we go below that, who's in control down there, uh, and and really trying to understand what, what the story is uh, to keep me on the right side of the trade, keep me unbiased uh, to where I can come into the day somewhat mentally flat in terms of any directional bias and just ready to go with the flow. Aaron, I'll stay with you. How long have you been doing this? Actively trading since... 2012, uh, but primarily stocks uh, and options uh, up through 2016. I really started getting into futures around 2018 uh, and then more actively in 2020, uh, very active. Uh, but it's been, I mean, my first trades were out of high school. I've always been fascinated by the market. My <laughs> uncle was a big trader. Um, so he would, he would give me stock tips even when I was a kid. So um, for me, it's been a lifelong obsession with markets, and uh, but eventually led me to futures because I, I think it's a little bit more consistent uh, in terms of income than stocks where I don't have to hold the drawdowns and things like that. Yeah, for day traders, I think that futures are, are the best, and I can go on and talk about a lot of reasons why. D different show probably for a different day, but I, the reason I asked you that is because, and Flurry, I'm going to get to you about the same question. Sure. How long did it take for you to really realize that you – had a trading plan, like a true trading plan, because like I'm really, I've been mentioning this. I think that there's so many traders out there that have what they think is a trading plan, but it's not complete. When did you come to the realization that you said, you know what, I actually finally have one now? Uh, I would say that what I used to think of as a trading plan was really just my directional bias coming into the day. Uh, and that I really didn't have any areas of confluence I was looking for, any real context on the market. And a lot of times it was driven by simple, I guess, kind of a gut feel or bias that it's come down too much or it's gone too high. And let me try and trade it the other way, uh, irrespective of, of what the actual auction was telling me uh, in the market. And so probably for the last two to four years, I've been incorporating much more in terms of planning and development, much more on the technical analysis side, on the early side, using uh, traditional technical analysis, but that didn't work real great for me with futures. Uh, and that's when it got me uh, much more into the volume market profile order flow type stuff uh, for creating my plans now. Yeah, we're going to dig a lot deeper into both of these guys' plans. So we're going to be going to the charts and we're going to be looking specifically at what they're doing. But I want to go back to you, Flurry, because, you know, I started off with asking Aaron how long you've been doing this and then really how long did it take for you to really recognize that you had a true trading plan? Sure. Uh, futures markets, uh, about three years full time. Uh, started in, in cryptocurrency markets, kind of just trying to buy and hold Bitcoin and, and started you know, caught, in caught a bottom, uh, caught a bottom there and, and a parabolic move up. And, um, you know, through that process, kind of learning that you had to go onto an exchange and start to sell and uh, seeing what those exchanges look like, uh, sort of reignited sort of a long running passion around watching markets and, you know, kind of similar to what Aaron was saying, just you know, something that I've always just been keen to watching. And, you know, it's it's funny, like almost developing this process, even without even like being active in the markets, but just kind of watching and, uh, you know, that rabbit hole we all do, like trying to find all the right content and, and things to learn. But, uh, you know, that transitioned into trading uh, actively with crypto markets and then jumping into stocks. But I think similar to, to Aaron, 
you know, just really struggled with the extra challenge that the stock market presents. I mean, it's one thing to be able to trade well, to, you know, build a process, but there's so many extra elements, I think, with trading stocks. Um, they're crowded too. So when you do finally find your process and you got your scanners all, you know, dialed in, you know, you, you dialed your scanners in and now you're in the trade with everybody else. And, you know, again, um, just that extra element kind of made it something where when I discovered futures was, it sort of brought me back to that crypto, uh, you know, only watching Bitcoin and really, you know, maybe a few other of, of the altcoins, but you know, that, getting sort of uh you know intimate with that product and knowing the nuances of how that one product moves when i saw futures markets it just was like that click moment where like okay this is where i want to spend my time you know plus they're kind of uh baked in leverage too which is pretty similar to you know crypto trading or at least some elements of it as well yeah i just think that you know for the day traders out there futures are such a great product uh yeah. and like i said for some of the things that you mentioned i think when you're becoming a day trader at least for me growing up in the futures industry, really, uh, there's just so many benefits to having the futures when you're trying to build consistency. Because number one, most of us are going to be talking about trading an index. So we're trading the same market over and over every single day. You know, when it comes to stocks, a lot of them have different personalities and you're hopping from stock to stock. Yeah. I know a lot of people will say it's just a chart, but I think that you develop a better relationship when you're dealing with an index that's trading every single day. You know, you're trading that same product every day. So you you really do learn a lot about that context and nuance, you know, and specifically the nuance, right? I mean, the S&P is different from the NASDAQ. You can right. look at, up at the screens uh, on the business news networks and say, oh, yeah, well, they're all up today or they're all down today. But boy, the path and how they got there could be very, very different. <laughs> and they're just, they, they each are their own little beasts. Um, you know, I want to dig in a little bit more about your your processes. And I think maybe what we'll do is we'll go with you, Aaron, first. And what I want to do is I want to pull up your screen here. And what we're going to talk about, Aaron, is what are the keys for developing a trading plan? And we'll go here. I believe I should have your stuff up here, right? Yep. Yep. Okay, good. All right. So for me, the key is number one to, I think, try to ascertain who's in control of the auction. And so for me, I, I think every day uh, it's important to look back at the larger time frames, the monthly, the weekly, the daily. Uh, and I always kind of start with the monthly just to see where we're at in some of the major uh, auctions in some of the more large distributions. Look at the past distributions in that area. Um, for example, if you look back here, you see multiple monthly areas of confluence, and you'll hear me talk about confluence a lot when discussing a plan, but a monthly high, value area low, monthly low, monthly low. This was an important area for me to hold. Uh, dropping below here, I think, draws us all the way down into here, and you can see that we held there. So I'll look for that for longer-term swings and stuff like that, but on an intraday time frame basis, starting here, trying to figure out where we're at in the larger auction um, you can see that the low volume node from this month was basically the high today. Uh, so little areas of confluence like that and then dialing it down into the weekly. Same thing, looking for where is there no interest? Uh, where are we running into resistance support? Areas of confluence, you have a, a, a weekly low volume node here, here. And then when you dial into the daily, that's the bottom of yesterday's uh, double distribution low volume node. So this is an important uh, area that I would take note of in my 
plan, for example, dropping below that, I want to be a net seller. If we can hold above that, uh, I want to still be looking at longs. Um, so, so little things like that. And then getting down into the daily, uh, I want to find and take the same elements I'm looking at on the monthly, the weekly, and then apply it to uh, the daily auction. And so the way that I look at that is usually through areas of balance, where are we currently spending our time? Uh, where are the distributions? Where is there no volume or no interest? Um, and where might we go? Should we break to the next area? And this is a chart I've been using a lot for the last uh, several days. Um, but really, you know, yesterday my thesis was essentially if we can hold this bottom area, potential that we rotate to the top. Only reason is because it's the bottom of this distribution. It's a very clean bottom that's been defended multiple times. We have two gaps right here. So below that, I obviously want a short potential for a bounce there simply building the context around what's happening in the auction. And when we look at yesterday, the little area here that we accelerated through left single prints on the profile, that's also that 37, uh, 97, 50 area that was important on the monthly and the weekly. And then I'll attribute that to my daily plan and kind of look at that as a strong area of importance to stay above. Obviously we're having trouble up here. Um, so Starting to build a story, I think, around who's in control of the auction at this point and at what point that changes, to me, is one of the key elements. And from there, uh, I take it a step further and I start to look at, obviously, the overnight inventory. What happened in the overnight session? Are we trading inside of yesterday's value? Uh, are we gapping up? Um, are we inside yesterday's range? Uh, are we able to take out the prior day's high and things like that? Or what I'm really looking for... Uh, before as and as I'm writing the trading plan to develop actual trades. So I, I literally write out uh, if this, then that type of scenarios for each trade. If we come down and I see buyers defending this area, uh, then I want to take this position targeting this, this, and this. And really what I'm, I'm doing for myself there is trying to think through the process before actually getting into a trade because uh, something I noticed uh, a long time ago. So I would get into a trade and have a good entry. And then I'm scrambling to figure out kind of where's my target? Where should I, where should I take profits? And if I don't have some sort of a set plan, oftentimes I'll leave decision-making to the emotional side where I'm just getting out because I'm fearful it might come back down and, and stop me. So, you know, a, a key element to the daily plan for me is, is almost defining exactly what I plan to do, depending on what happens with the market. Uh, whether it goes up or down, creating a binary sense of of how I might engage with the market. And once I have all of the areas that I'm looking for, the zones of importance for me where I might want to engage with the auction, um, I then create uh, essentially like little literal zones on my chart like this. So I'll use, well, I'll just show you my trade screen. So essentially, I have my daily that I look at here with some levels of importance to me. This is that confluence zone towards the low of that distribution, which I thought was important to hold yesterday. And then I put actual confluence zones from all of those areas that I spoke about on my chart. And that's where I look to engage with the market is, you know, potentially shorting below this, targeting this level, potentially targeting down to this level, really building it into a somewhat what can be a complicated process, trying to simplify it as much as yeah. possible by adding those confluence zones and how I can manage risk around them. Because if I take a, for example, short here, I could just put my stop above it because I know it's an area of importance for me. 
um, and trying to dumb it down as much as possible to remove uh, any too much thinking that goes into the decision-making process. Um, so I think that's really what I would say the key factors are for me is, is taking a process from the top to the bottom, finding the most important areas of confluence for yourself, and then really thinking through how you might trade that in certain areas to not only remove bias, but also give yourself a little more conviction once in the trade. Uh, that's how it's worked for me anyway. All right. I want to pull back a little bit uh, and just talk about a couple of things. Flurry, I had to sure. mute your mic. We were getting a little uh, back. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, we're still getting it. Uh, some feedback? Yeah, we're yeah. getting some feedback. So I'll mute you until uh, what we get to you just so we remove it. But um, so a couple of things I want to talk about, Aaron, is that I think that are there are a lot of things you talked about. First off, I want to know, and we'll talk to Flurry about this too. It feels to me like a lot of you know, I would say more of the the newer or the modern day futures traders are using order flow, volume, those types of things versus using just traditional indicators. Like when I looked at your charts, a lot of what you're looking at is is coming from volume profile or whether it's market profile. Um, I don't know how much order flow you're, you're using, but it, it's really more of a volume based strategy, it seems as though, um, than it is you know, an indicator based. And I mean, I know volume can be an indicator. I'm, I'm getting more comparing uh, why uh, that is. So why did, why do you, why did you choose that route? All right. So there's a couple different elements there and, and I'll add one more. Uh, probably the biggest part of my strategy that not a, a lot of people use is actually, I, I'm very focused on balance areas. So and that, take all indicators away, all volume and everything else. Uh, it's simply based on, price action, right? So yeah, I, I monitor and track all recent important areas of balance. This was during ETH, but I'm, I'm really tracking and logging where are these areas of balance happening? And if we break from balance, where might we end up? And you can see that these areas of balance continue to work. And it's something that I, I don't know a lot of people that, that really follow these, um, but it's a key part of how I create levels, potential downside targets, uh, areas that might be important in the auction later on. And they have really nothing to do uh, with volume or, or, or market profile or anything else. And if you look at past balance areas, and this is an interesting chart. So these are old balance areas from 2020, the blue lines, okay? All the way back from 2020. And so is this, keep... is this a monthly chart or weekly chart or is it just so a... This is a two hour bar chart, um, but- Oh, I see. But it's expanded got... a little more. These are important balance areas that were important in the auction on the way up. And as we've come back down, and if you think about it in a you know, kind of simple terms, at one point, those balance areas were the fairest price for several days. I usually look for three plus days to be a, a legitimate balance area, similar highs and lows, similar point of control, like all the volume kind of concentrated in the middle. And you'll find that when we liquidate, we often will come back down to that prior area of importance in the past, uh, especially if it's a new low, we'll oftentimes bounce at those areas. So uh, that's a, definitely something that I, outside of market profile volume and, and order flow and everything else uh, that I look at and monitor. And I don't know if you can see my whole screen, but you know, a question I get a lot is about execution. And so this is on my other screen, <laughs> which this is, there's a lot going on here. Um, but this kind of narrows even deeper into the volume and Flurry will talk 
I'm sure a lot about Delta because he's, he's a wizard with Delta, uh, but it's something I definitely pay attention to as well. So as we approach my levels of importance, those the, the zones and the confluence zones that I mentioned before, uh, I'm looking for specific things in the footprint as well to actually hone my execution, get in as pop, close as possible to the low, specifically a taper into a low that's absorbing sellers if I'm looking to go long. Okay, so a nice volume taper into a low that's absorbing. Uh, can often trigger a entry for me as long as it's close to one of my areas. Uh, and similarly, as we're trading higher, I'm watching, I want to make sure that they are pulling orders above me, stacking orders below me, that they just continue replacing the bid. Uh, if I'm long, and then same thing, if I'm long and I see a start coming into an area and volume starts dying, buyers are getting absorbed, then I might take profits uh, early and capture the game. So I use a little bit of everything. Um, but for me, it really start like this is really what I, focus on maybe a minute before I enter, maybe two minutes before I enter. But my primary focus is always going to be first this, then where should I actually look for that entry and manage my risk from? Where should I place my stop? And then as we get into that area, then I dig into the minutia of order flow and uh, the footprint, that volume taper, the, 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 the characteristics that I want to see where, okay, buyers are showing up here, sellers are getting exhausted, let me take this entry um, to give me the best kind of shot of success there on the trade. So it's like a three-part sequence for me. Once I have the plan written and everything else, it comes down to first developing where do I actually want to engage with this profile? And then how do I manage risk around it uh, from here? And then also dialing in the entry with the uh, footprint chart. Larry, I want to bring you in here. We're, we're going to go to your charts uh, in a little bit here, but sure. I know I'm sure you're going to talk about order flow. And the question I asked Aaron was, why do you think that so many newer traders flock to volume profile, just volume tools? I mean, a lot of the traders I, I talk to that have started, I would say, in the last five to 10 years, almost all of them are using volume profile, market profile, or some sort of you know order flow-based tool. Um, why did you flock to that? Why do you like that so much? Yeah, I think the the visual is big. Um, you know, taking a concept like volume or time uh, with TPO and being able to really see the way that, you know, value is sort of migrating higher or volume nodes are building. And, you know, again, you you watch these these profiles develop enough, you start to recognize, you know, like for for example, we talked about nuance earlier. You know, one of the big nuances would be a destination type trade. And, you know, how often do you see, you know, Aaron mentioned it, like you go from one HVN uh, edge to the next. And so if they reject one, you know, one node, then you, you likely go to the next node type thing. Um, I, I think just like it, it, it's very visual and I think it speaks to a lot of people right out of the gates. You know, that concept of HVNs and LVNs, um, I, I think to expand on that, though, a lot of people probably don't dive much deeper than that. And there's just so much more nuance, um, you know, in watching these profiles build. Uh, Job from from our team is, you know, is just so good at, at volume profiling and the way that he looks at it. But, you know, what Aaron was doing there with, with that top-down approach too and seeing the way that areas are developing balance, seeing the way that areas are developing um, accumulation type zones, which is kind of what we just came out of. Um, again, that visual, I think, is just a little bit easier to see than just zooming out on the bar chart. And uh, I think that, you know, that visual is what what makes people gravitate to it, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, when I look at volume profile or market profile, when you're looking at it, this 
when you're when you're I'm looking at your screen right now here, Aaron, you're looking at when you talk about visually, you you know, you see these little bell curves. And, and like you say, you, you see where the volume is being distributed. And for I think a lot of traders, it's easier to go back and look at something like this and have nuance in it than trying to trade like a five minute head and shoulders or to trade, you know, any other sort of thing like that, which you know, I mean, it just seems, it just makes obvious sense because when you look at this, you could say, look at, I've seen this before. I think it brings the learning curve up much quicker because you, you, this, looking at it from this perspective, I think it's a lot easier to take in information. You know, I think that that's a big part of it as well. Um, I just find it to be so interesting. Uh, you know, for me in my career, it's so funny. I started off using market profile. I use that actually quite a bit and I just went away from it. I don't even really look at uh, too much of volume profile or market profile anymore. Um, and then I see so many new people doing it and I'm just curious as to why, but, but it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, Aaron, I want to go back to you again. We'll kind of close out with your stuff on your strategy. The other thing I put in is that you're layering everything almost back into one chart. So basically you, you have all of this work that you then put into uh, a, a chart I don't know if you want to pull that chart back up, or maybe this was the one. I remember you, I wrote down a note saying that you had um, all of those levels there. So when it, it, you condensed it in, into an area where you can just look at and, and start to make your decisions, because I could see how some people were obviously today we're talking about getting to a tr uh, getting a, a true trading plan. When they look at this and say, "How is he finally getting to the point to make a decision? Like, where is that?" finally coming into play but obviously the person who has the charts it's easier to know but how did you get it to the point where you condense it and you just were because futures trading is about making decisions in the moment right absolutely and you don't want to be looking too far right and too far and too many different things how did you get it to that point and just go over that chart and kind of go through the layers and how it gets you to that point of execution of course and i think to understand this it's important to understand the word you guys mentioned earlier which is nuance um, I think with any process, you you know, you have to understand the nuances of your own process. And it took some time for me to uh, get good with this because you can see that the levels are reactive. The zones are very reactive. Um, I tried when I first kind of developed how I was doing this to push away market profile, volume profile and everything else. And I was like, I should just execute just off of this. And I got creamed uh, for two weeks and coming back to it. I don't know when we approach a level, if it's better to buy it or to wait until we get below it. The, the key again for me is first forming the context around what's happening in the larger auction, what's happening in the market, who's in control um, in order for me to actively wanna get long or short uh, at a certain level. And so the way that I, I personally use it is, is really, secondary uh, because first I'm trying to identify uh, where I want to engage. And then I'm using this to uh, really hone my entries and my exits because these to me are just very likely areas for potential action uh, or for, for potential defense uh, or resistance on the upside. So the trade formulations always come from the larger timeframes. And then this is helping me hone the execution side of it uh, to a little bit more precise level and also giving me kind of a stupid, simple way to manage risk because I could just um, place my stop uh, slightly on the other side of, uh, of a certain area. So um, 
very visual. It's a visual representation of all of the confluence that I come with, come up with from the other work uh, that, that just makes it to me where I'm not having to think too much uh, during the day. I can really just watch the auctions around my areas of importance. And even if I get away from the context, I can kind of see where the rotations are at and see uh, how I can manage risk around those rotations. Last question before we get to Fleury. Um, for you, how much of your trade decision is made before the day even begins? <laughs> I would say... So I would say about 60% because... I, I, I lay out every potential long or potential short that I want to take. And then the day opens and things slowly begin to change uh, as the day progresses. And so, you know, like early in the day, my plan might play out great and I might make a good trade early and the first part of my plan kind of plays out. But if information changes, um, then, and, and I used to suck at this. So when information changes, I need to change. And uh, that's a big part of coming in without the bias. So yes, I, okay, so I, if I think this is gonna hold, I wanna take a long uh, above it, put a short a stop below it. Well, if it comes back below and, you know, and then comes like dipping into it, well, it's probably a short, I can't keep with my long bias um, fighting it the other way. And so oftentimes I'll shift my, my own trade plan uh, in the moment and throughout the day uh, just based on new information that the market is telling me. Like, for example, today, I thought we'd be bullish if we got above yesterday's high uh, and potential for a breakout. But pretty quickly, it was clear that the the buyers were just not that aggressive and we were likely to balance for the day. And so I kind of bagged it pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, at that point, the, the trade plan kind of goes out the window. Maybe it'll come back in uh, when the FOMC announces. But I would say 100% of my trades are planned ahead of the day. And then I would say about 60% of them actually get executed, if that, uh, based on early information that I'm getting from the developing price action uh, around the levels, around what's happening. Love it. A lot more to talk about. And we're going to dive more into execution as well, because execution is so important, right? I mean, you, you could have the best plan on paper, but if you can't execute it, plans doesn't really matter. Today's podcast is sponsored by TradeStation and FTSE Russell. Currently, TradeStation is running a promo just for our audience. New users are going to get 50% off brokerage fees for the lifetime of their account using the promo code F-U-T-R-A-F-Z-T. As long as you open an account by July 30th. Go to tradestation.com slash Anthony to learn more. Are you watching the stock market, specifically the Russell 2000? The Russell 2000 is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol, RTY, and micro E-mini Russell 2000 future symbol, M2K. To learn more about FTSE Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. A lot of great stuff so far, and I, I thank you very much for sharing that with us. Um, and... I'm looking forward to see what Flurry has to say. I mean, I'm a, you know, it's it's always interesting to see how different everyone's really trading plans are. And, and I think a lot of people would say a lot of the volume profile or the volume people, a lot of their plans you would think are pretty similar, right? And I can't tell you how many I've had on here. And, and there is a lot of similarities, but they're not 
uh, always similar. In Flurry, I'm assuming we're going to go into a lot more of the order flow side of things, um, which mm-hmm. is going to bring me into. I think we're going to tie that in later. We're going to talk about execution. Uh, so we popped up Flurry's charts here. And Flurry, I, I hand it to you. Talk to us about you and your trading plan. Yeah. So, you know, before jumping into the charts here, I think uh, my approach to to markets uh, and sort of my way to build a process or analysis, uh, my top down kind of looks like building these homework charts, I call them. And each one of these chart books that we'll take a look at is really focused on really one specific study. And some of this stuff is automation from Orderflow Labs, but all of this is available. Like you could do this all manually. I did it all manually before we automated it. Um, but the idea here is that each one of these charts until we get to sort of those execution books or like the actual NQ chart book uh, is focused on one thing. And so, you know, we've talked about nuance several times already. Um, but the idea is, you know, when I come to this chart, there's two or three things that I look for that are going to pop off the page when I see them. And, you know, whether it's nuance or an actual setup, we'll see a little bit of both or just a level of interest that I know these levels when they do appear are so good that I'm going to put them on my notepad. Uh, This process kind of starts from all of these homework charts. Then they ultimately will distill down into my actual NQ book for execution. Um, And then from there, uh, each day, uh, I will take basically my notepad. I'm all about kind of like getting the pen out, getting the notepad out and like writing them down. Uh, Each day, I'll take the ATR range. and, And again, we have like a dynamic ATR range, but I'll take the ATR range and I look for levels of interest, say every 75 to 100 points. And these areas of interest, you know, in a perfect world are going to be the only places where I'll do business. And, you know, that way I'm only focused in, you know, pretty much the average range. Um, I don't need to be worried about, you know, NQ, you know, sell zones at 14,000, whatever, Um, you know, and I'm, I'm focusing my efforts and my attention each day into a certain area. So with that being said, you know, sort of my top-down approach starts on the weekly level and looking at some weekly uh, delta. And so these are our weekly delta pivots. And um, this shows you sort of this point-to-point journey of the weekly pivot. And, um, you know, for those that maybe don't know, the weekly delta pivots is a study that we kind of created. And it's looking at essentially the value area. And this would be the point of control of last week's aggressive delta And then we're actually looking at each of the sessions. So blue is always going to be RTH, uh, the yellow is the Asia session, and red is the Euro. And and I kind of use this to create these zones. So the zones are one nuance, and you can obviously see we're we're bidding off this lower zone quite nicely. Um, But typically, these zones don't end up being levels of interest on my chart unless they're really consolidated. What I'm mainly looking for is these bullish and bearish continuations and crosses. And what that is for me is just this small little nuance where... The session before, RTH session was below the other two sessions. So their value is is dropping from a Delta perspective. And then all of a sudden in this session, they're now above the other two sessions. And so we're seeing this shift above the other two sessions. And that's what I would call a bullish cross. And on these bullish crosses, I look for, or, or a bullish continuation, which would be staying above the zone, which happened here this following week. I'm looking for about a five-day ATR at some juncture from Sunday's open. And I look for this to pretty much uh, try to resolve by about Wednesday uh, in a perfect scenario. So if we're talking A+, um, I'd like to see that resolved by Wednesday. And so, again, 
we're starting with sort of, a, I hate to use this term, but directional bias. We have an idea of where the auction should go based upon this nuance observation. And there's some other things that we can do there, but you know, that's how I would start my week is, are we bullish or bearish cross? And uh, are we just sort of net neutral? Uh, to give you an idea here, like here's UB. UB was a, a bullish cross coming from below and it was a bullish cross and they bid right out of that zone up into the previous zone. So again, a little bit of a directional bias from the weekly delta kind of giving me that top-down approach. The next one is an actual setup. And so these are the weekly delta pivots for just RTH and the ranges. And based upon expansion or contraction of these ranges, so here if I just kind of scoot the chart back, we can see this range clearly expands over last week. So that's last week's range and trend was up. And so I have some very clear setups that I've defined based upon this expansion or contraction. In this case, expansion, uh, we, we typically want to fade last week's trend. And when I say fade last week's trend, I don't mean for the entire week. I just mean that at some juncture, there's going to be a trade opportunity to potentially revert to mean. And so in UB this week, that would have looked something like selling, you know, 155.14. And you look again to sort of trade from the one down to the pivot and then potentially down to the other one. Um, again, some nuanced things on whether or not I would take this trade all the way through to the bigger target. But, you, you know, again, a nice opportunity or a nice example here you can see as they picked up that one and you're looking for that momentum reversion to mean trade. So, you know, now I've got sort of the weekly delta pivot history giving me a little bit of a directional bias. And then I look for confluences in the setup. So are the ranges expanding and contracting? And is that telling a similar story uh, to what I'm seeing with the with the weekly delta pivot history? And so, you know, I look, you know, Aaron kind of mentioned these if then statements. I'm uh, I, I'm very much doing that same thing. It's like if we were a bullish continuation, which we were last week in NQ, um, you know, we would need to go up in order to pick up last week's setup. And this was last week's setup. I actually put this one on Twitter. This was a nice one. Last week's setup was an expanding range and we wanted to fade last week's trend, which was up. So we were looking to revert to mean from the one to the pivot and down to the one, but it was also a bullish continuation. So, you know, we have to go and we opened kind of in this area. So we have to go up to pick up this cell. And I have a setup that says, if we can find a reoffer in this zone, let's try to revert to mean back down to the pivot, sort of re reassess this uh, and then potentially take it down to the weekly one B. And so this is a setup that I will track each and every week. Um, I look for this again to resolve typically by Wednesday, um, holiday week. So a little bit off uh, actually the last two weeks, but um, you know, again, a nice opportunity. And I, we're starting to build sort of some directional biases and some setups. And so then I would go to my next chart. And this one is um, our session Delta pivot history. So if the first one we looked at uh, was looking at this point to point perspective of how the auction has journeyed week to week, session to session. This is looking at uh, the way that each session is journeying intraday. So each one of these uh, points represents basically where we put in the highest delta of the session for each of those sessions. And similar to the other charts, there's you know, there's some things that you know we've automated here, but patterns that were uh, that I'm looking to identify each and every week. So this would have been an example of a, a sell elbow. And, um, you know, essentially what we're doing is it, we're looking for the, where the auction is shifting. And when that auction shifts in this sort of specific pattern, that's what would create this sort of red zone. And we're looking at the delta or the high delta from each session uniformly sort of making that turn. 
And when that happens, for me, that's a big continuation pattern. So not only do I now have an area of interest, which, you know, I know is a little bit wide, it's 104 to, to 213, but, you know, we can start to say, okay, as we distill down, where am I interested inside of this zone? Um, and, and again, here we see a nice retest the next day and then that continuation pattern resolves. So I look for these shifts in the auction and um, I also look for a pattern. Uh, it's a setup. It's kind of a fan favorite. We call it the Leroy uh, or the three finger Leroy based upon like sort of the three sessions here. But it's a continuation pattern. And you'll see on my Twitter, I'll post these a lot. Um, but essentially what we're looking for is uh, like a one time framing higher or one time framing lower of these sessions. Uh, session over session. So here's one right here. You can kind of see the blue, uh, which is RTH. They put in their high delta here at 744. The Asia session puts it in here at like 797. So we're stair-stepping higher. And then finally, the Euro session puts it in at 834. So when RTH opens, we look for that continuation as all three sessions are building that delta higher and we get just a beautiful continuation, you know, trend day up. And so that, again, this pattern, um, you know, we have it automated with order for labs, but, you know, visually something that we just picked up from watching these charts um, and just the way that we're organizing this high Delta from session to session. So this daily version is something that I look at. One of the other nuances with this chart that is important to me is how smooth are their lines? And so if they're sort of uniformly um, trending down and then building that elbow and then trending up, um, you're seeing sort of like smooth auctioning. If you start to see some of this, uh, you know, kind of like mess, right? To me, that's accumulation. Uh, the sessions are kind of building, they're kind of going back and forth and, and it can be sort of an early clue that, hey, this trend from up here that was nice and smooth, you can see, you know, nice and smooth down it's starting to get a little bit messy. And usually that messiness leads to accumulation, uh, whether that accumulation would have gone down or up. In this case, it went up. Um, so again, sort of like starting to distill down this information. Uh, this chart here, I call this the voids and clusters chart. This is just another way to visualize the same data that we were just looking at. But here I'm only looking at the RTH session highest delta from a delta percentage. And we call these SDP pivots. And this is visualizing these from a horizontal perspective. And so if I actually turn my zones off, you can kind of see where they're coming from. So each one of these lines, the genesis of those lines is that spot during the RTH session where that high delta got put in. And so the idea here is, you know, if, if the big players that are able to put in this pivot, if you can create this pivot, like it's not you and I, <laughs> uh, I, I don't think so anyways. Uh, this, these are bigger players that are hitting these spots consistently over and over again. And when you see these patterns, um, you know, I call them clusters. When you see these patterns where they're starting to cluster and build positions and defend positions in similar areas, you can really start to lean against those areas and, um, you know, almost treat them like balance, like Aaron was kind of mentioning. Um, you know, you, you start to learn these nuances of how, how the market interacts with your, with your areas of interest when it comes in. So this is one of the biggest uh, charts that I use uh, because this gives me the confidence in my, in my other analysis, which is uh, mainly like a trend um, or swing high, swing low type analysis uh, to, to get that confidence going with the confluence of the delta. So if I have an area of interest and the delta is also in that area, that's what's going to put that level sort of on my notepad for the day. So um, here again, you know, you can see I've kind of identified some of these areas. I call these clusters. And then if if a, if a cluster is a bunch of delta being put in, uh, a void is sort of the lack of it. And so if there's no big participants that have been 
uh, sort of active in an area, typically these are fast paced trade opportunities or low liquidity trade opportunities. And you'll see the market just zip through these zones super fast. And so a lot of times in my weekly plans, I want to map these out as my big opportunities for the week. And, um, you know, here you have a void. Again, you can see there's like just no pivots in this area. They haven't they haven't put Delta in and they just slip right through it. Here you have a void. You know, again, we go quickly through it and quickly through it. Um, and, you know, here you can see these clusters really playing. So this week for me, this 709 uh, to 682 was what I was calling a breakout cluster. And this uh, 390 to 357 would have been a breakdown cluster. So I'm looking for them to either break down this area or bid off of it. And we were kind of joking, uh, you know, on here talking about a process yesterday. <laughs> I said I was I said I was going to buy the dip as long as they held this lower cluster and yesterday. I joined the shore train trying to push through it for the opportunity to trade into this void, um, you know, which ultimately didn't happen. So um, this chart um, will then sort of distill into my other ones. Um, and now we get into some, you know, just sort of like general setup type charts. This is uh, one I call an ODR or open drive ranges. And this study is looking at 15 minute open drive ranges. And as long as we hold a 15 minute open drive. Uh, Explain that. I'm not sure I know exactly what, what's a 15 minute open drive. So I have, these are 15 minute candles. And, um, okay. and again, this, you know, our, our version of this study, you could put it on a five minute candle. It'll do the same thing. But what it's looking for is that either the high or the low of that first 15 minute candle never gets breached. And so here, if we, this is an ES, we can zoom in and look at this one here. You can see this 15 minute candle. This is the yellow candle. That's the opening candle. And then it's a volume profile on that 15 minute candle. I see now. Okay. The low never gets breached. And, you know, again, I think we talked about profiling earlier. I think one of the things that brings people to profiling so much is that like day type, right? Like they want to catch that trend day or they want to know if it's a balanced day or PB profile. Um, this for me, not only inflow is a great tool to be able to see if we have the potential to be this trend day or at least how I've defined it. Um, but also to trade these levels upon return. So, you know, the amount of volume that it would take to start a trend day and the amount of protection that a position like this should get upon return, especially when buyers who bought in this first 15 minute candle got this reward. You know, when you come back, which happens right here, and again, right here, when you come back to this area, you can expect a similar reaction, right? If anybody was bag holding that trade that entire time, well, they're going to be happy to get out, you know, break even, which that's a pretty big break even, but, you know, to each their own. Um, and then a buyer, you know, that, that took that buy the first time, they're going to be incentivized to buy again. So these areas are one of the few areas that will just jump directly onto my daily plans. And these areas of interest and, and in NQ, uh, which I do a little bit more top down work. Um, I'll actually go in and sort of dial in where was that HVN, where was the high volume of that first 15 minute candle. And I kind of mentioned playing these in flow, but this is a great like the question people always ask is how do I define a trend day or catch a trend day early? I, I watch this 15 minute profile and I look, I watch for them to build this volume profile. And if one of one end, so in this case, the low of this 15 minute profile was held, if that gets held like in flow or like in the next few candles, that's a great opportunity to try to get in and catch a trend day. Um, so, you know, again, this is a, a level that goes directly onto my charts. Um, and, and the weekly IB, this is one that's big for me. So this is the first 30 hours of trading. Um, and again, just some nuances that I look for here. But you can see, you know, we've we've been sort of dancing around this weekly IB high. 
Um, just a just a sort of like one-off chart that I've really found some good success with. Um, you know, again, IB being the initial balance, this being 30 hours versus say 30 minutes, or you know, the first two sessions or the first two periods, whatever. Um, and again, some levels of interest that will come from this and some nuance. Uh, I think last week I mentioned uh, when we close outside the 200% extension, typically what we see is a continuation and then a large fade. Um, you know, and we called this on Sunday, just kind of looking at this um, from a nuance perspective. Like you look at these and you go back and you go, you know, again, this was one chart and then you just get intimate with what are the setups and what are the nuance with it. So um, I, I look at the weekly IB. And then, you know, of course, you got to have a balance chart here. So um, I define balance as overlapping value to the right, which is my own personal way to do it. Um, and if I can define balance by overlapping value to the right, then I can also define imbalance or the last day before we broke out of balance. Uh, this is an NQ chart. So then here uh, I call these imbalance days, uh, island days. And so these are these are really good targets for ranges. And so. Uh, when we leave in balance, typically, you know, you're going to get this island day where it's just kind of sitting there. There's no overlapping value to the right. I, I look to target these days in this zone, specifically the pox upon return. Um, and typically we'll range from island day back to island day. And obviously then all of the different nuanced trades that you can have with balance. Um, and the reason this balance chart is last in this process is because, um, you know, and FT71 said this on one of his morning podcasts the other day, but um, if, if you break out of balance and they reclaim that thing and you've got all of your other work telling you that it's short, 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 you better be aware that we just broke down from a, like an eight day balance and we reclaimed it because you're going to be in big trouble if all of your other work is telling you to short because balance is really just going to be that like ultimate nuance. And um, a, a good buddy, uh, I think you actually know Jay too, but a good buddy, um, he's taught me some really good nuance around these, around these balance area charts and of all the stuff that we looked at and talked about, I think the biggest thing is that at the end of the day, the market just moves from balance to imbalance and back to balance and being aware of what state of that current, um, you know, current evolution or current auction that you're in is, is just so important. So that comes last for me. And then similar to the way that Aaron had sort of that, um, you know, how are we distilling all this down? Um, my main way to do sort of top down analysis is looking at these swing highs and swing lows, uh, whether you want to call them supply demand zones, whatever. Um, essentially, it's trend analysis. I want to be aware of, are we downtrending on the weekly? And then are we down or uptrending on the daily? Where are we at on the four hour? Where are we at on the one hour? And so then that top down analysis for me is, is really, you know, yes, there's levels of interest from the weekly. Um, and, I, and I'm looking to see like currently we're trying to build an uptrend, but we're in a larger downtrend on the weekly. But you know, we're currently sort of still holding the last low. So, um, you know, then we come into the daily, like, what are we doing on the daily? Well, we're, you know, we've, we're sort of basing and trying to retrace this leg. And so that top-down analysis can not only uh, develop these levels of interest, but then, um, you know, we talked about that voids and clusters chart. What I do is I bring that information in and I'm now filtering these levels. And yeah. so these yellow zones are those clusters and those voids from before. And so, now, when I when I decide where I want to do business uh, or what areas of interest are, are really going to jump off the page for me, I've got the confluence from Delta and I have the confluence from my trend analysis, um, you know, these supply demand zones and then obviously also volume profile. So, you know, we're kind of bringing that order flow into that classic price action. 
and, you know, finding these levels of interest. And, and ultimately then, you know, those levels just end up on my chart. So this whole process then, you know, ends up with maybe nine or 10 levels on my chart where I'm willing to do business. And it's just really, what is the reaction in them? So, you know, obviously if uh, I called the 710 a breakout. So if this was a breakout cluster, if we pull back into that zone, this, you know, what was resistance now becomes support. And I'm going to look for, you know, confirmation from the order flow when we get into that area, which I think is the last piece, right? So then we have all of this process that brings you to an area of interest. We've got nine or 10 levels we're going to watch for the day. Um, you know, then I've got my execution chart and, you know, similar to the way that we've sort of brought some of those other levels in and I've got them turned off now, but I can bring in my areas of interest. And for me, it's area of interest, tools, confirm, execute. And so, even if I have a level that I like, if I don't see something from price action or, or order flow, whether it's our tools or just whatever you're looking at, a, a footprint, um, you know, that confirmation is really big for me. So, you know, even here, like uh, seeing the, the red dot for me is um, seeing aggressive selling pressure on, on, um, on the time and sales, and it's right at overnight high. Um, that, I mean, that's a classic one that everybody probably has on their chart kind of thing. Um, you know, and so again, it's it's now distilling all this information down into an execution chart that has some other nuanced things on that I'm watching for order flow. But at the end of the day, it's area of interest tools confirm. And in doing the same thing, and, and you know, maybe I'll I'll kind of open it up to everybody else. But for me, that this is all about consistency. Um, I can talk about this process because it's the same thing that I do every single day. It does not change. And I'm, I guard that process pretty closely. And I'm also intentional about how much time I spend on it and um, what I'll allow to actually come into the process from the outside and how much time I actually spend even looking at other things, whether I'm back testing it or just looking to see if it sort of will pay rent uh, in my process. And so, you know, that's kind of the top down version for me. Um, you know, maybe a little bit much uh, for, for some, but for me, I do this day in and day out. I can get through my process in 10 or 15 minutes and it's only one or two things for each chart. So, well, a couple of things for me, when I look at it, it's, it is, it's, I see some of the similarities between the two of you. And I also see even the similarities between the two of you and me, and I'm not even looking at the same thing, but the way that you put everything together to know what you're looking for. I think right. the number one thing that I take from listening to both of you today is you do all this work, you put everything together and then you you try to simplify all of that work that you did. And I know that's a lot for everybody to come in. That's why this is recorded. You can go back and watch it. I see a lot of questions about this stuff. But what they do to them, uh, to these guys, everybody, is that they get it in this in maybe a, a chart or two. And going into that day, they already know those areas are laid out for them. And when they get there, then it's about coming down to execution. So everybody always talks about being patient. Well, the reason why these guys can be patient and, and they're relying on, the, on their plan is because they put the work in and they know what they're looking for. Uh, and then when it gets there, uh, they then use order flow or other things, uh, look at what's happening on the day. Like today is a, a FOMC minutes. Um, you know, if you get a, a signal in an area at 201 uh, Eastern, you might say, <laughs> well, I don't know how heavy I want to weigh into this because <laughs> right. it doesn't, how much does it matter here? Uh, and I think that it's also important is just how you guys layer things is something that I do as well. When, you know, if I have an area of interest that's on my daily chart, I don't think enough people put that area of interest on the shorter term chart 
because you may not remember it. And when you may be also trading too much in front of it, or, you know, there, there's, you have to see it on that chart because visually, and that's something both of you mentioned, it's so important to have things set up to, to where, when you are getting to those areas, you, um, you see it right there in front of you. Don't put a lot of this to memory, put it to work into one chart. And um, I just want to go over execution real quick before I go into, um, you know, questions from chat because we do have several of them. Execution is obviously a huge part. I mean, I, I've I've really tried to talk a ton about execution. I actually used to talk about execution a lot uh, years ago on the show initially. And, and I think a lot of people really almost didn't even understand what I meant. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but I think that so many people think, well, if you have this, you have this strategy. Uh, you know, you just go out there and you're buying and selling at the areas that you like. But once you trade for a little bit of time, you realize that <laughs> it's just not that simple. Um, execution is 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 really everything because your strategy itself is just the way that you view the market and you look at things. And then when it gets to the time where the market actually trades there, you're left with a decision now um, and how you go about that. And for me, what separated me, I felt in my career from an early trader to, to a trader that finally started to make money was my execution. My strategy was relatively the same. And you always build on it and add different things, which I'm actually going to use some of the things you guys uh, talked about today. But you know, we'll get back to you, Aaron, for a second. Um, I want to talk about execution in the sense of scaling um trailing stops we, we looked at all of your stuff today i mean i don't know if we want to go to maybe to the chart of each of you quickly and go over something because i think that it's important that people understand that when they get to that area uh, are you jumping in in front of it are you jumping in right at it is there a, a window uh of uh, a range i always look at numbers like mattresses on my strategy if i want to be long i gotta give them a little bit you know i don't let them just hit it and come right off i mean if i see it bounce really well then i might be adding well away from from my price because maybe i didn't get the full position there but the reaction was what i wanted i could talk all day about this but we learned from you guys a lot today i think what i like to do is aaron maybe just go and show us something is, is to explain how you would execute the trade so there's a few different a few different nuanced ways that I'll execute a trade off here. I will rarely enter on first touch. So, and I'm okay if I miss a trade because of that. Uh, some of my favorite ways to execute are, are generally if we're say, for example, in a downtrend, I actually want to see us break through with acceleration. Like you see here, like an acceleration breakthrough, and then I'll short the, the retest um, so that acceleration is a big thing for me. Uh, like for example, you see here a strong push forward and I don't need to FOMO into it because a lot of times it's going to now come back down and retest that acceleration out of that zone. And I can try the long from there, uh, targeting the next zone in terms of trailing stops. Um, I don't have a set trail on my stops, but generally what I will do is like, let's say, for example, I take a long here. Um, I'm usually going to reduce risk at either my first level, so maybe five, six, seven points, um, and then potentially take one more off when we get into the next zone. And then if I still have one remaining, uh, I will pull the stop up maybe to break even, maybe just above break even. And I want to see how it resolves around the next area of uh, potential resistance and see if that can then turn into support uh, and bust above it. But if it's struggling, if it can't get back above, uh, then oftentimes I'll flatten the trade. Reason being is because of the way that I trade this, I'm, I'm okay with letting it then accelerate through here 
retest and then getting back in once I'm sure that this resistance uh, isn't going to pull price all the way back down uh, on top of me. I'm, I'm definitely one that likes to lock in uh, profits and I'll wait for us to be above resistance and then retest personally. Um, I don't like allowing things to come all the way back down and stop me flat personally. So I would say uh, that's just not taking any order flow or anything else into account. Also, probably more important on the execution side is the trades that I don't take. Um, and I would say that this process got me to a place where I don't execute in here. <laughs> I'm not taking any trades in this area. And you can kind of see that the area to trade today was here or up in here. Uh, and I, I've found, and, I, and I've done it before, where I wait for it to break out and I'm like, oh, it's going to go all the way up here. And then I get in late between my areas of confluence, between my areas that I'm watching. Um, and that's where you take heat on trades. It's going to chop around your entry and things like that, at least with, with my work and the way that it, the way that it happens. And so ideally for me, uh, always looking for on trend, uh, one time framing on a 30 minute is big for me. So for one time framing higher on a 30 minute, I'm looking for us to break through uh, these areas. And this is actually a session delta pivots on here that, that player was talking about the black lines there. Um, so there's confluence. I like to see the confluence within his work and my work too. Uh, it's pretty nice. Uh, and you can see they, they've given up some nice bounces and resistance today now back above it. But what I want to see is if we're one time framing higher, a look above that survives and then runs away. Uh, if we're one time framing lower, uh, acceleration away, an inability to get back above. Sometimes confluence with VWAP is nice as well if it's inside of a zone uh, to then play it the other way, retest, maybe short it back down again. Um, but it's really simple in terms of, I would say, how I execute it. Again, I'm, I'm dialing back into uh, the, where is that chart? Into the, not just this, but also into uh, smaller time frame. Uh, well, this is a 30 minute chart, so not super small time frame, but into the Delta is the volume tapering into that area or building. Like I want to see volume tapering, not building as we fall into an area where I'm looking to get long. And as we're moving up, are we building in volume? Are they absorbing? Um, are we just pushing through selling? Like you can see the selling here. They're just pushing right through it. I'm still comfortable holding that all this aggressive selling and they're still pushing higher. Not a big thing for me. Comfortable holding long through that and using this to kind of guide my process until the story changes in the uh, DOM or the footprint uh, and buyers start to lose interest or start to get overpowered a bit. Uh, but ideally for me, uh, it's simply a factor of kind of putting those two things together once I'm in the trade. It's really just about order flow and trading up to my next main target. Um, and oftentimes, so once I enter a trade, you know, like if I put a if I put a bracket on it, um, for example, if I want to get long here, once I get filled, I'm going to move my target up to here, move another target up to here, and then just allow the play to allow the trade to to play out um, without too much interference from me. Um, because I found that interfering too much or getting too worried about um, getting too small time frame, I try to operate mainly from here, um, but at the same time, uh, ensuring that I'm locking in the gains uh, once I'm once I'm in the trade. So uh, that was a great explanation. I think it's it's so important um, it, to really understand your strategy 
so well. Uh, a lot of what we talked about today with the nuance to where you know how you're going to ex execute in these situations. You're taking primary trend. You're looking at the big picture. Uh, you're looking at a, a bunch of different things. So when you get down to it, you become a better executor of your strategy. I always say, it, this is why I don't automate my stuff too. And people are like, well, if you have such a good strategy, why wouldn't you automate it? Well, I don't automate it because I think that's what that's what defines really the trader is is the better you are at executing your strategy um, is really what defines it, right? I mean, you, I've had good strategies that I just pour at executing it because it just doesn't work for me the way that I like to execute trades. Uh, it's such a big part of it. We're going to go to you, Flurry, um, and we're going to go to what uh, you're looking at. Um, so show us here uh, yep. execution. Yeah. So uh, for me, for execution, again, it's area of interest tools confirm. So even if I have a level marked, I want to see a few things. Um, and, you know, again, we've said this nuance word so many times, but, you know, you'll start to see these things just reoccur and reoccur. And, you know, um, the Dom, you just got to watch it. And, and there's a, there's a way that it moves and it picks up, it picks up speed and you'll see people putting orders in and there's, you know, there's nuance and kind of all these things that you can see, but Obviously, we've automated some of that stuff with Order for Labs, but what we're looking at here is, uh, first of all, from the hourly chart, you know, I talked about that top-down um, sort of swing high, swing low analysis. I had this um, 11.852 as a level. And so as price pulls into 11, uh, 11, uh, 8.52 or this 8.52, we're starting to see some selling on the tape. And that's basically from these red dots. And then when buyers push up into that high, we, we're looking at a delta footprint now. You can see they basically get met by, you know, whether it's a pat, whether it was passive or aggressive selling, but they get sort of scooped on here. So you've got 300 lots in NQ, which is sizable um, to get run over. And you've got the confirmation that there was selling on the tape. Uh, you know, the time and sales was showing a pace of tape that was increasing. They sort of trap these traders. And then now we've got an area of interest from a swing high. Um, we saw the activity of sellers stepping in at that area. Buyers got a little bit out over their skis on that area. So you could either A, trade that right in flow uh, with just these signals from an execution perspective. But then when you pull back into that area and you retest your area of interest and you see the sellers there again, um, you know, again, from the red dot there, one of our OFL studies, you know, for me, that's where I get that area of interest tools confirm execute. Um, as far as the brackets and things like that go, um, I'm a mix. It really depends on how the market's moving that day. But I would say... 80% of the time, I'm going to put a bracket on and that bracket's going to scale out. Um, you know, an NQ, let's say it's like 15 point stop loss, um, at least that that comes in to start and, and, you know, might modify that based upon, you know, in inflow decision making process. But let's just say 15 point stop, uh, 30 point take profit. And I'll usually take about a third. Um, so let's say, you know, you, you peel off two and then at 50 points, I'll peel off another two. And then I usually leave those last two for discretion. And I like to let that last one go or one of the last two or say go till like, say, 100 points, um, which is now we're getting kind of outside of maybe like a two sigma type rotation. And then sort of, um, you know, I kind of like to call it like earn the right to be discretionary on the last one and then start attacking some of those bigger levels to levels. Because, you know, I think especially with some of the way that I look at these things, um, you know, you want to be attacking sort of like the next level on your chart, right? You did all this work and you know that you're expecting a reaction. So um, I really try to trade level to level after paying myself for the trade um, and the initial entry, right? So, you know, we, we allocated some risk. 
We've now uh, realized some PL and I've got a few runners left to start attacking some of these levels that I've spent all the time kind of working on uh, putting on my list. And so from an execution perspective, it's, um, you know, it's a little bit of an inflow thing, but really it's, uh, you know, some version of let's let about like 50 to 60% of the position pay for the expectancy of the rest of the position and start attacking some of these levels that we have on our charts. Once again, you have similar strategies, not the same, similar, and really different execution. Uh, it, to me, it sounds like you two go about your execution uh, different. I mean, it just goes to tell you, show you that you could have the same strategy as somebody else and just really have a different uh, approach to executing, uh, execution. And, and, and it's, I think this is one of the most personable parts of trading. I think that you have to find a strategy that fits in with you. I mean, I'm somebody who I just like to know, do I want to be long or short after a period of time of, of the morning? You know, once I see that, I just trade it and not long as long as I can, you know, as much as I can, you know, and that's just, I'm a busy body too. So I feel like when I get into something, I'm rotating in and out of stuff a lot, you know, so that's, that, that, that is just the way I, I almost, I, I have to be, you know, when I try to just sit back, I feel like I'm, I'm holding too long and sometimes I just get, you know, it's just, so my mindset is click in, starts to go my way. I'm very active, aggressive as it's going. When it's not working, I'm peeling them back. I'm putting them back on. And that's just this my style, you know. So um, I think that for all the traders out there hearing you guys today, understand this is very personal, you know. And and I think that they they explained it so well from their strategies, uh, their trading plans to how they go about executing them. And this is what encompasses the entire trading plan, right, guys? Because it, it, your execution is kind of the, the last thing we talked about. But you did all this work and you did everything, and it comes down to now. I'm sitting there at that at the screen. And I got to go and point and click that. And, and what's the best way to, for me to get the most out of this? Um, and I think that that's, that's that final part of the, um, of the equation here, of, the, of that true trading process. Yeah, so it's that confidence, right? I mean, yeah. we, we do all this consistency, confluence, and confidence, right? Like yes. do the same thing each day, build your process. Um, by being consistent, you get a good feedback loop. If you're not consistent and you're constantly putting new things into this idea or your, or your trade plan, then you have no good feedback because you need consistency in order to get exactly. good feedback. And, you know, one, one thing that Aaron and I talked about is being uh, getting that confluence and having like a multimodal system, too. So, you know, on the surface, it might look like I'm looking at a lot of things, but really I'm just um, making sure that I have multiple modes to my to my plan so that when there is that confluence and a level shows up on this chart and this chart and this chart now i've got confluence and again all of that leads into getting that confidence to be able to execute and you know get that macro tactical see it hit it um you know and, and you know he he had uh, and what really was a big aha moment for me in this whole building a process and where i felt comfortable with it was um you know we used to trade on on mike uh in the mornings and, um, you know, I was struggling with confidence and, and we would talk about things and I'd be calling out what I was seeing and he would be taking those trades with the confluence to his levels and what he was seeing off of the Dom. And um, he said something to me that I'll, I'll never forget. And he said, you know, you, you do all this work and you spend all the time to build this plan, you know, essentially like how dare you come to the market and not, not execute on your plan or at least try to. And um, he said, I have enough confidence in, in what you're saying to help, you know, be confident to my plan and execute on it. You know, you should as well. And that was a really big like 
whoa, you know, I, I do need to just start like trusting this and clicking the button a little bit more because we do spend so much time at our screens. And, and really, at the end of the day, the goal should be to spend less time um, and get this thing dialed in. So um, that was a big thing for me. And, and, you know, that confidence, that see it, hit it mentality and the ability to just click the button. And, you know, it's a cost of business. Sometimes you click the button and your plan was terrible <laughs> or, or you won't execute on it. But if you do the same thing day in and day out, you'll get a good feedback loop and you'll be able to make those small tweaks, adjustments or kick something completely out of your process if it's just not paying rent at all. Yeah, and I don't know if you want to comment on any of that. I think it's confidence to me is everything. I know that I'm confident in what I did before I got to the screen. So when I get there, that's why I'm really a very aggressive, I would say intraday, I'm pretty aggressive, you know, because I believe in what I did. And if I think it's working and I see it working and the market proves to me it's working, then I take as much as I can. That's just the way I'm built, you know, because I know that there's times where I'm wrong to where I also have to have that same type of aggressiveness, aggressiveness of getting out. So I'm confident getting out for the loss because I'm like, this isn't working, you know, and confidence is, is everything uh, in a sense, because that's what gives me the freedom to click when I see things. Uh, it's just it's so important. I don't know what else you want to talk about that with it, uh, with that, Aaron. Yeah, man, I, I talk about that a lot in terms of building confidence and you know, to Cleary's point, I mean, it, it really is about doing, trying to do the same thing day in and day out, creating a, a routine around creating some sort of a plan or design around how you plan to trade the day and doing it day in and day out. And at first, um, at first, I wasn't very good at it. And the, the thing like it would be okay, and it would work out okay, sometimes. And then you start to get better and better and better and confidence comes with that. I found that like a lack of confidence with most people or people that I coach or people in the Minds Unbound program, it comes from a, a lot of times a lack of strategy or really trust in their strategy. And the more times you do something and start repeating that process again and again, um, you begin to build trust in your process. And I think once you actually trust your process, confidence is somewhat of a byproduct of then being able to execute the process. To me, it's like a three-stage thing. First, you have to have a process of some yeah. sort. Then you got to build it to a point where you're comfortable with it and you can trust it and you see that it's working. And then there's the, the execution side where you know you see that it's working, you try to take a trade and then you paper hand it for two points. And then you finally start to trust and actually execute on it and you can habituate that behavior. And that's where you become, I think, a much more confident trader is when you can kind of put all that together uh, into, into a certain flow that you bring into every day. And, um, but, it, but it all starts with first having some sort of a process and whatever that might be um, and, and repeating it again and again. To me, it's, it's all about repetitions, putting in reps in the market. 100%. It's so well said. Uh, I'm going to go to some of these questions now and then we'll wrap up from here. Uh, I like this question for Flurry to start and I'll put it in there. And then Dan is saying, how does order flow help with where to define stop outs or do you just always have a defined dollar risk per trade? Yeah, the old risk question. Um, you know, so order flow specifically, I think can help because especially if you're entering obviously in flow, right? So you, you're buying and you want to see support from buyers. Um, well, if a bunch of other buyers and you were being very aggressive at a spot, call it the low or whatever, uh, if price retraces onto that and we don't see more aggressive buying and the buyers are sort of exhausted, um, 
that's usually not a good sign. And when you get below those guys, now you're sort of lumped in there with potentially all of these stops that are sitting down below. So um, when you are entering based upon order flow, you also want to see that order flow support that position and continue to move forward, uh, whether it's, you know, on on sort of an initiative move away from the area, but certainly a, upon return. So, um, you know, from a risk perspective, you know, dollar uh from a percentage of your account is a great place to start. But I think that really comes into one of those nuanced things of if you're starting to see your idea work, and I love what you said about this, like when I see my trade working, like I'm aggressive and I'm getting in there. When you start to see your trade work, um, you know, you should give it a little bit of room, in my opinion. Like you got to wait and see like, hey, if buyers are active, how you know, let them let them kind of see if they're still going to buy this area, because not every trade you're going to buy and the thing just shoots, you know, 50 points straight up and, you know, you're, you're a hero and all your take profits are already getting hit. Um, so I think you want to see your you want to see the order flow support your position, not only on the initial move away, um, but also upon return. And so. Um, it can tell you that you're wrong really quickly as well, I guess, is, is what I'm getting at. Anything to add to that, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, if I was to say, um, there's a couple order flow related things that will have me move a stop up. So if we're moving higher and I see that a bunch of buyers are getting absorbed on the way up and we're still pushing higher, no big deal. Um, but if that's if there's a key level in there somewhere or something of importance, I'm going to move my stop up under all of those, all of that buying delta. Uh, because that to me is oftentimes poor support. So if we come back down and we trade below all those buyers that are getting trapped on the way up, oftentimes that's very poor support. They'll start liquidating, they'll get out of break even, and the price is going to come shooting back below. Same thing with the zones. If we accelerate through, come back and retest and hold, I don't want to come back through that area. Like I, I know that um, if we make an aggressive move or an impulse move higher from a certain spot, I don't want to see us come all the way back below uh, that current swing low right below that. So uh, order flow related, that's a couple of things that I look at when I'm in a trade where I might move a stop up is a couple of things like that. I'm going to go to a couple more questions, then we'll wrap. Michael O is just asking, hello, Delhi, what is the best way to learn futures or where can I get it? Thanks for doing this. Really appreciate it. Obviously, guys, this is a very new person to futures. Um, so first, I would say, Michael, to learn more, you can go to my site, anthonycarelli.com. Everything is free on there and learn. And then obviously go to CME Group uh, to learn about a lot of the products. But I'm going to go to you two guys just to talk to him about what do you do at the beginning of learning about futures? You know, I have you guys both here today to talk about developing your trading plan. You guys have done that. We'll go back to you, Flary. Talk to, to Michael about who's just getting into futures, what you think is the, the, the first steps to learning how to become a trader in this market. Yeah. Um, I mean, we all we all go through that, right? Like the rabbit hole of trying to find out, you know, what you need to know. And, you know, is there some, you know, one set way or some some process that's been defined and you can just kind of replicate it, which um, I think we've all kind of found the answer is no. And even if you did have a, a process that you could just carbon copy, um, you'll end up making it your own anyways. And so, you know, I would just encourage you to start the journey. Uh, great books, you know, great YouTube content, um, you know, again, shows like this. Um, that that would give you little clues to the nuance that some of these traders are using. And I think some of the best uh, aha moments that I've had were, you know, experienced veteran traders sharing like one little nugget. And that one little nugget, when I applied it to the things that I was spending hours and hours studying in the books that I was reading, just like blew up uh, into a, a setup or a, or a bigger idea. Um, so, you know, do the work, 
read the books, you know, go through the rabbit hole, YouTube, find good content. Um, and I think most importantly, ask lots of questions, but ask smart, thought out questions to people that are out there. There's people that if they know that you're putting in the time and the effort um, and you ask smart questions uh, and you're respectful, they're going to give you that little nugget that might sort of expand into bigger things. So obviously you need to know about some of the general things with futures tradings, like when does news drop and things like that. Like, you know, what is the baked in leverage to the products and you know session times and things like that. Um, but all stuff that you could find from CME um, and things like that. But I think as far as like just getting this information, um, you know, the books, the content and, you know, other traders and just being respectful and asking smart questions to smart people. Yeah. And I can't stress enough on how good a, even a resource Twitter can be if you if you can, yeah. you know, get past some of the some of the uh, negative Filters. things about it. Right. I mean, you've got to learn how to actually use Twitter, I think, um, because I feel that Twitter is such a great resource. It's how I met you guys, how I've met so many other people. And, and I've learned a ton from Twitter, but you got to be careful, I think, as a new trader, because you don't know who you're following or what it is. So do your homework on who you're following and take the little bits of information that you learn and build your own strategy. I've talked a lot about today on how trading is personal. You could take Flaherty's strategy, you could take Aaron's strategy, you could take mine. And if it doesn't work for you, even though we're making money on it, that, that's okay. I mean, you got to find what works for you because as we talked about today, confidence and you got to be a good executor of your strategy. Just, just very, very uh, important. And, and give yourself time. Believe me, it's going to take time. Aaron, I will go to you. What do you think about it? Yeah, I think you guys nailed the, all the resources. I would say that on the process side of things, the best way to learn futures is to really start slow and and take very minimal risk in the beginning um i see a lot of people come in and start swinging e-minis and nq raw like uh right off the bat and i think it's super important to first start with developing some sort of process that works for you so whether that's trading on sim or one micro i mean whatever that might be uh is first building an understanding around some some sort of market structure uh whether it's with bar charts or with volume profile whatever whatever it is that speaks to you uh, and having a clear understanding of who you are as a person. Do you want to be a scalper? Are you, you know, someone who can withstand holding for long periods of time? Like what, what type of trader you want to be to define what that strategy and what your own process looks like. Uh, and, you know, like I tell people all the time, like start with very small. Once you can handle that and consistently pull points out of the market. Uh, you can consistently pull 10 ES points out of the market every day with one MES move up to two, move up until you can no longer pull 10 MES points out of the market every day uh, and then scale back once you start to emotionally trade or make poor decisions until you can get through that block. But I think the most important part of the process is, is, is the process of learning is actually how you're going to progress yourself uh, towards where, where you want to be. Uh, and for me, uh, there's, there's sort of a path to that. And it all begins with strategy. And then we got to tackle the emotional demons as they pop up uh, and, and, and take it from there. I'm so glad you mentioned micros too. It's such a important part of, I think, learning how to trade is to be live. I, I think that SIM is definitely where you start, uh, but I think that you can be on it for too long. And I think that it, 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 you, know, you start getting to the point where it's not helping you anymore. And yeah. going live with micros is a great way. If you don't know what micros are, just like I said, go to my site and see it's there's micro products for pretty much everything you want to trade. And I think it's it's a great place to start. 
I would go there. I don't care how much money you have before you go into the big contract. It's not how much money you start with, believe me. <laughs> um, we'll go with uh, Jason Taylor for the last question today. Jason, he's always putting uh, uh, comments in today, so I appreciate that. I'm going to get to your question. When using VP, how much weight, uh, we're talking about volume profile, uh, do you or should you put on POCs, VPOCs? I often hear mentioned on uh, volume point of controls and how important they are as far as poor structure we'll go the same way we'll go we'll go flurry and then winner i mean personally i don't put a ton of weight into um you know naked pox or point of control unless it's one of those island days that i kind of outlined earlier so uh, the point of control from the last day before we broke balance or the day that imbalance started is a big uh, point of control for me um intraday or intercession, the point of control or sort of like the mid of value. Um, it's important to see how structure builds off of that. But as far as like, like I have to see X happen above the point of control or, you know, I, I trade like this when we're near the point of control. Um, you, you'll hear people say things like, you know, don't diddle in the middle kind of thing. Um, sure. But, you know, for me, I want to see how structure is building around, you know, around my pivot or around my point of control. And I want to see price return to the last uh, point of control before we moved from balance to imbalance. Aaron. I would say that uh, the point of control is important to me in that I do not want to execute anywhere near it. So I try to stay away from trades anywhere near the, the, the volume point of control intraday um, simply because if, if that's the fairest price uh, of the day, why would I want to pay the fairest price? I want to buy in the LVNs, the low volume areas uh, away from that and then target moves back to the point of control. So I pay, I pay a lot of attention to that in terms of where I want to execute away from the point of control playing for price to move back to it. But I do use it as a sign of importance for acceptance. Uh, so we talk about time, and people always want to understand acceptance above an area or acceptance above, uh, you know, a certain out of balance or whatever. Um, the point of control can often guide that. Okay, we're putting in a lot of volume up here. We're spending a lot of time up here. It's moved the point of control above the prior several days. That's a sign of acceptance of new prices and that we're moving higher, uh, but much more so on the target side than on the uh, entry side for sure. Great answers, boys. I have to put this up because this was making me laugh. So if we go back and when you guys watch the video, <laughs> Richard goes, what's it like to be the only one with hair? We were kind of laughing in chat. These are facts. Uh, <laughs> facts oh, man. And then a uh, couple of just, these are just kind of quick questions. I'll let you guys answer. There's just two second answers. Um, uh, what is the best markets for beginners? Slow like ZN or fast like NQ? For me, I'll say this first. It, it just depends on what type of trader you want to be. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, ZN I, is price matters a lot more than it does in NQ. So if you like an area that if it hits a price and it holds and it's going to move away from it, I wouldn't say necessarily slowly, but for all intents and purposes, compared to NASDAQ, it's, you know, a turtle uh, compared to how, how the NASDAQ moves. You got to build a relationship with these markets. If you're a new trader, go on SIM and try them. And they are different. You know, I, you know, NASDAQ moves a lot. S&P, you know, is kind of in the middle, very liquid. You've got the Russell, you've got Dow, you've got gold, you've got oil. Uh, it, all news hits them in different ways, uh, you know. So I think that you just have to go out there and try this stuff. I, I think it's so important. Um, everyone's, um, for you guys, I don't know how much more you're going to add to that, but I think 
Uh, real quick, everybody, your Twitter handles, because I know a lot of people are asking that as well. Um, we'll go Aaron and then Flurry. Uh, it's at Living Right Co. Mine's at Flurry underscore V. Yeah, a lot of these are a lot of things we covered. I mean, just this other one is he's just asking, is there a specific time of day that you guys trade? And I, you guys are intraday traders, right? Are you guys trading at night at all? Uh, <laughs> I say no, but uh, if the setup's there, yes. Um, guilty of probably spending too much Junkie. time looking at the markets <laughs> on my phone and knowing where my areas are because I spend so much time doing it. Uh, so I'll run into the office. But my day in a perfect day lasts about 10 minutes, uh, but usually lasts about uh, two hours from like 8.30 to 10.30. And then I try to focus on um, you know helping helping the folks in Orderful Labs or just you know whatever else is going on enjoy life that's you know that was the idea of jumping into this uh into this uh market and trading so uh when the opportunity presents itself to get an early day or head to the cabin try to take it a lot of guys uh are asking about you know order flow tools where to use them i'll leave it to you guys to go into chat or put that stuff in comments there reach out to them specifically um you know before i let you guys both go uh, I know that people are also talking about Aaron. You do a weekly prep, so let me. We'll just go around the, the table here and just let everyone know where they can learn more about you, where could, where they could ask some of these questions because some of these questions are pretty specific about you guys and order flow. And I'll let you let let these people reach out to you uh, individually. Absolutely. So Aaron, yeah, tell everybody where they can oh, go. Sorry. Link your website. Um, things you're doing. Yeah, I post uh, the weekly plan on. On YouTube, I post it on my Twitter uh, every Friday or Saturday morning, uh, where I go through a top-down analysis that basically a detailed analysis of what I just went through, but in you know like a 20-minute video. Um, you can find that on my Twitter at Living Right Co. Uh, or on YouTube, which is Mind Unbound Trading. Um, I post my daily plans and things like that. Sometimes on Twitter, I have a private Discord for that as well. Again, you can go to my Twitter to find more information there. My pen tweet, um, but. Always, as, as always, guys, feel free to reach out, shoot me a message. If you have any questions, I'm happy to always help people uh, anytime. So you can always message me on Twitter or outside of here. Aaron at Mind Unbound Trading is my email uh, if you don't have Twitter. Flurry. Um, you know, so again, uh, at Flurry V underscore or at Flurry underscore V on Twitter. Um, if you want to see a bunch of basically some of the things that we've talked about, I, I pretty much, as far as content on Twitter, am always just posting the same things, like the nuances that I'm seeing. Um, and somewhere in that feed is is a is a big description, if not a YouTube video, to you know how did we develop these levels and what, you know what am I doing in and around the levels. Um, obviously, Orderflow Labs. So at Orderflow Labs on Twitter or orderflowlabs.com for some of the tools that we've created to automate a lot of the stuff that you might have seen uh, when I was sharing the screens. And obviously, um, even more from uh, an execution standpoint, since you know it's Orderflow Labs and, and we're looking at Orderflow um, as well as structural tools. So those would be the two. And follow these guys on Twitter. Uh, give these guys a, a follow and give them a lot of love uh, with maybe hitting the like button and resharing this if you guys enjoyed today's show. I can't thank you both enough uh, for taking the time to speak with me. I've enjoyed your your stuff on Twitter for a while. First time we got a chance to speak. Big fans of both of yours. And, you know, I wish you guys both the best. And like I said, thank you again so much for joining me. I had a lot of fun. I learned something. Yeah, and I was great. Some of your tools to add to my strategy now. So I appreciate that as well. 
Likewise, Andrew, great us. to meet you as well, man. Thanks for having us. And all of you guys out there that tuned in today, thank you so much. You guys are the reasons why this show exists. Uh, I hope you guys all had a wonderful fourth, all my friends here in the U.S. Uh, let's let's be ready for those FOMC minutes. Nothing like waiting for old <laughs> news, right? <laughs> all right, everybody, trade well. I'll see you next week. See ya. Take care. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Never miss an episode. Go to anthonycrudelli.com and get on our email list for show notifications and for free content that is exclusively for subscribers. Also on anthonycrudelli.com, you will find tons of videos and education on trading futures, options, and crypto. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Opinions expressed are solely my own and my guests, and they do not express the views or opinions of my sponsors. Future's radio show is produced by Crudelli Productions.